secluded rendezvous <laughs> that overlooks the avenue <laughs> with someone sharing a delight. There's some bad cocktails for two as we enjoy a cigarette. All right, everybody, welcome back to another meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow. Welcome to the clubhouse. You have myself, troop scout leader, Dustin Lays with Beef, across from me. The historian, Denim Wall, this is Smoking Dart. <laughs> and in between the two wall boys, you have myself, Chief Runs with Bins. Feels good to be back in the clubhouse. We got uh, episode two, season two. Let's uh, start it off with the straight arrow oath, as always, as is tradition. If you are in scout uniform, three finger salute. If you're in civilian clothes, hand over your heart. Repeat after the historian. A straight arrow tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow always sets his moose to stun. And a straight arrow is always against Bill H.R. 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane. Can I get a round table? We met Tanya. We Tanya. Well, we're here for the Texas City Twister. Going to kick us off with some show notes. The historian, take it away. All right. So this is season two, episode two. The I'm going to maybe think about including the production codes as we go on. They're mostly irrelevant to me, but I know some people kind of like them. Uh, this one is 5E02. First aired September 28th, 1997. And it is the 15th King of the Hill episode that we are... Uh, reviewing here. So it's directed by Jeff Myers, who also directed Plastic White Female from last season, and he's got 11 total King of the Hill credits under his belt. Yeah, he's becoming a frequent. Yeah, and uh, this uh, the 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 writer of this one is easily one of my favorites that we've encountered, <laughs> Cheryl Holiday. I don't know if you remember her, but oh, I remember her. <laughs> yeah. She likes the booze. She does. <laughs> she she gave us our namesake also, the Order of the Straight Arrow. Yeah, shouts out to Cheryl. That was her episode. Um, she actually only wrote three episodes of King of the Hill, but she was a supervising producer and then a co-executive producer uh, until the end of season three when she left. She went on to create a show with comedian Sue Costello uh, that only lasted about eight episodes. She went to work on as a co-producer on the Norm Macdonald show, just called Norm. I do like Norm Macdonald. He is a funny He guy. is pretty good, yeah. Thanks for that, historian. Uh, really excited to see Cheryl back on the show. Um, we do love her. And uh, might as well talk a little bit about the synopsis before we dive right into the cold open. All right, well, this is entitled Texas City Twister. In this episode, Hank attempts to untip Luann's trailer, causing a fight between Hank and Peg, heightened by the town-wide panic as a twister is headed straight for Shiny Pines Trailer Park. All right, thank you. So let's dive right into that cold open. Uh, one of my favorites, and I know I know Running Bins likes this one too. I think this is definitely a solid intro. We get Hank coming into the kitchen in his sweatpants and undershirt, uh, and uh, it's still the morning, so he's a little. Days. He's forgot to put his glasses on. Yes, exactly. And uh, he goes in for a kiss from what he thinks is Peg. Turns out to be Luann. <laughs> Doing laundry. And uh, I guess uh, he gets his underpants mixed in with her unmentionables. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a great cold open. The best I've seen so far, I reckon. And what I thought was the funniest part is that Hank 
instantly gets mad at Luann, even though she's awake before anyone else <laughs> making coffee and doing other people's laundry. And just because their underwears were in the same load of laundry, Hank was mortified. Oh, why can't Hank be more like Bobby? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> get excited about some new undies and run around to the... <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I like that uh, when Peggy comes in and Hank's just like, I'm in here naked, and she's got, he's wearing sweatpants and an undershirt. Like, he's dressed. Where did he get that winter coat, though? <laughs> like, no one in Texas has a coat that big. And nobody washes that in the laundry. <laughs> like... <laughs> And I actually laughed at a Peggy line at this point when Hank is uh, explaining to her what just happened and she yawns and just mutters scandalous under her breath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Hank, you're being ridiculous. I actually missed that. I didn't <laughs> I did like that. 6 a.m. and already the boy ain't right. And then we get Hank sitting reading one of his favorite magazines. <laughs> I know. I wish this carried on. This reminds me of when he's watching Making Steak. Yo, make a steak. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, it is. he's reading uh, the spring 1998 issue of... Propane Illustrated. Propane Illustrated. And what I was kind of confused about is, like, did they release that early? Because this was written in 1997, right? It's well, you want it to last when it's on the shelves, uh, right? Yeah. It's going to come out for all the 1998 products. Fair enough. I would like to see a storyline in the future where Strickland Propane has maybe got a visit from Propane Illustrated. <laughs> oh, I would love yeah, to see. Get featured in Just an article. like, yeah. Hank's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 14 reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're thinking about making an industry standard. <laughs> Did you happen to notice, uh, like, on the cover, some of the, the articles inside? No, I didn't. <laughs> I know me. I saw the uh, goofs, blunders, and practical jokes <laughs> of propane. <laughs> and don't forget how propane saved my marriage. <laughs> of course, his morning read is interrupted further by a man from Shiny Pines Trailer Park coming to collect six months' back rent on Luann's tipped-over trailer. Yeah, and, like, first of all, this guy is interrupting Hank while he's reading Propane Illustrated. Second of all, he has a ponytail. Yeah, <laughs> we know how yeah. And a crescent wrench. Yes, and a wrench. He's very threatening, and um, he... Hank is uh, bewildered, actually, to the fact that a trailer still exists that is in Luan Platter's name. Because to Hank's knowledge, the trailer got towed away by the cops after the fight. But instead, it's still been sitting in shiny pines at the corner of Shady Oak and Unpaved Access Drive. <laughs> Chipped over for however long it's been. Google Maps can never find it. Um, I do think that this scene actually... Uh, offers some insight being so early in season two and it is about six months in since Luann did move in to the Hill residence this being the second episode of season two so basically what that is kind of saying is that all of season one took place over six months basically what it says to me is that the whole time the show's been on is relevant to real life at this moment at that moment it was yeah I think it's interesting, yeah. It's a little reminder, I guess, that six months Luann's been living there because she owes six months back rent. Yeah, totally. That that, that makes sense for Un sure. Unless her parents already owed five <laughs> months. <laughs> I'm not sure of the situation. And that makes sense considering the episodes we've seen, right? The pilot, Bobby's playing baseball. That would be in the summer. Uh, the Order of the Straight Arrow, that was uh, number three. That was also the summer. You're right. But Square Peg was in school time, so maybe they were... 
uh, tiptoeing into September a bit because I believe that's when Bobby's birthday was, sometime around late September. Yes. Something like that. Interesting. Yeah, so that could. Cinco de Mayo was at the end, though. Yeah. yeah. And that aired on a Cinco de Cuatro. Oh, I, think, I think we're on to something. Yeah. <laughs> They they really take this uh, realism seriously on this show, and I, I I love it. It's a nice little touch, I think. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. definitely. And none other than Hank's uh, nine iron that he keeps beside <laughs> yeah. the, beside the front door scares off away that man with the ponytail, and he ends up being kind of a nice guy. He's just trying to do his job, but <laughs> <laughs> he was brandishing that wrench pretty menacingly. Exactly, and then so we get uh, Luann and Peggy coming home. Well, they asked me to substitute for a German class, and I said nine, which I thought meant yes, <laughs> but apparently nine means no, so I blew a big opportunity. Big surprise. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if you can't answer that simple question, <laughs> you probably, shouldn't. probably shouldn't be teaching anybody German. <laughs> like, how hurt is the Heimlich County School District right now? Like, this buffoon of a substitute Spanish teacher is, oh yeah, she can just sub in for a <laughs> German class. Those languages are the same, and she knows none of one. <laughs> no. I know lots of schools uh, in America actually do offer German, German, or like sometimes some schools offer like Japanese. Japanese classes in high school what? just like we got offered French, French? and possibly Spanish <laughs> <laughs> so enter uh, Peggy and Luann walk into the house and Hank abruptly and kind of rudely demands to know Luann why are you living here and of course, Luann says because she has nowhere else to go. And Hank continues to elaborate on the fact that she still has a trailer and the fact that it may be tipped over. It still manages to exist. <laughs> I like his I like his prop comedy with the oh yeah knocking his, over of the beer can. His demonstration's great. Yeah, um, Luann's Luann. <laughs> of course, I think this is my favorite line. I was, yeah, from Luann, the whole show. I can't live in a beer can. I can live in a trailer, but I don't have a trailer because the trailer tipped over. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer's tipped over. <laughs> oh, I love that. This whole conversation between Hank and Luann is, I think, my favorite exchange between the two of them so far that I've ever seen. Just like that whole scene is so funny because of the amount of times that she says it's tipped over. <laughs> And how she great. thinks it just disappears once it's <laughs> tipped over. And Peggy does not like that. And she, her, no. Her it says what? It's full of broken dreams. And broken dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she, she slides in the line that if uh, they had a spray to clean up broken dreams, then Woodward's would still be in business. Oh, fuck yeah, Woodward. I believe it was a sponge. Oh, okay. <laughs> they had the sponge from Woolworths. And does anybody remember Woolworths? <laughs> so Woolworths was founded in or founded February twenty second, eighteen seventy eight, by a couple of brothers, and it lasted all the way to July nineteen ninety seven. They're basically the original pioneers of a fine five and dime store. So this is actually a very recent dig out. Woolworths from Peg. Yeah, it was it was happening like as they Months were writing previous. it. Months previous, like. <laughs> Yeah, um, so they they started uh, they set the trend basically for what modern retail stores uh, how they run their business now. They were the first people to have like 
open, massive stores that you could kind of just browse around and not be pestered. We're by. talking like Megalomart? Yes, okay. basically. And they were the first people to have like rotating like sales all the time and like rotating storefronts. They also had super bright lighting and they were usually open more hours than like a typical like mom and pop store. So um, in the 1980s, their, their competition kept growing and growing. So Woolworths began to focus on sporting goods pretty much because that was like their number one seller. So they were like Canadian Tire pretty much. Yeah, essentially. And uh, by 2001, the company um, focused exclusively on sporting goods and changed their name to what we know them today as Foot Locker. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. yeah, it's Foot Locker. Like the Eight Crazy Nights Foot Locker. Yeah, the one and the same. Cool. Yeah, so like, no, it, it was it was pretty crazy. They like totally set the trend on dollar stores and that whole concept, and they basically would put them in shopping malls. And they were the first ones to come up with the food court too. They put actual they called them lunch counters, uh, in their in their stores, and they would basically build shopping malls around the Woolworths. So we cut to outside now. Hank's under the truck, and he's setting up his wench. And of course, when Hank's got his tools out, the boys come round. You know how the Egyptians untip the pyramids, don't you? With a wench, a cinder block, and 50,000 Hebrew slaves. <laughs> you got a cinder block? Because <laughs> apparently Dale's got the other two. <laughs> Man, can we cold call the... <laughs> tip of the spear and get his thoughts on this. <laughs> he hasn't added minutes to his phone. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, like, the possible. Like, I don't think you can tip over a triangle. Like, I think it's just, <laughs> it's just like on a different side. Sorry for the convenience. <laughs> it's made of many blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Bill just likes to bring up his military career just to remind the guys that that he he's a man who might demand some respect someday. Yeah, and apparently, according to Bill, he has you know full access to tanks, even though he cuts hair for the army. They, they lock those up at night. <laughs> no, you're thinking of bulldozers. Oh, of course. The tanks are free. You can just hop in those. You just have to sign in. Wait, Matanya. Win Matanya. So, uh, Hank is sick of Dale's rambling. You can hear him groaning as, as Dale goes on about, uh, about pyramids, and he also ignores Bill's talking about tanks and bulldozers, and he goes, I'm going to go flip a trailer with a winch and a truck. Do you guys want to join me or not? And then Dale uh, kind of leans over the fence and hollers at Nancy, who is in the house getting ready for uh, Stormwatch 97. Well, what about my supper? I left a carton of cigarettes on the table. <laughs> I think I'll keep it. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the same. That was a line in an earlier episode. I'm not sure. I saw that in your notes, and I couldn't remember. I was trying to think, but I thought it was in the Order of the Straight Arrow episode. Yeah, I think she packs him like a carton of cigarettes when he's leaving, or uh, something like right. that. Yeah. yeah. She's, but she, I think she uses a line as a carton of cigarettes on the table. I think he says, I'll keep her. And I wondered if it was in that episode because that's Cheryl Holiday also. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I don't remember the exact lines, but I think you're on to like the right track. I mean, there's something very similar said. It's, uh, I mean, it feels like she knows how to make Dale stop asking questions. And it's a carton of cigarettes. Like, that's his price. I, uh, I kind of like that, like, if it was Order of the Straight Arrow, that it's the same writer. Kind of like, 
putting her little trademark on the episode because mm-hmm. I want to. I want to see. She's. You said she does three episodes. She does the third one after this. Yeah. All right. Okay. I won't tell you what it is now. Yeah. No. We'll I. I, I won't look. We'll it get up. there. But I'm excited to see, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna be watching them for it. But I mean, yeah. Like, <clears throat> sorry. But yeah, it's nice to see a development of the Nancy and Dale relationship because we don't see a ton of it in season one. It's just funny how they work. Like, they're pretty much just roommates. Like, that's, that's how, I, how I it d- sees. I don't know if you guys actually looked ahead in my notes at all, but don't go ahead and do it. But I put in there a little thing. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get there. But I think that I actually start to see something in Dale and Nancy in this episode. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think I actually see where the sparks maybe flew at one point. Oh, interesting. I look forward to talking about we'll that. We'll get there. And, of course, the scene um, ends with Nancy saying that there's high winds forecasted and this could be the disaster that she's been waiting for, you know, to really jumpstart her career as a weather girl. <laughs> we get more of her just being way too excited for people's potential demise. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and we find out later in this episode she lost a shed ten years ago to a tornado. How can she make jokes? That's not enough time. <laughs> she didn't give a shit about that shed. Maybe only because she lost her basement, <laughs> her storage room. Anyway, we see the guys arrive at Shiny Pine Trailer Park. Trailer parks are some of your largest consumers of propane. Right behind school buses and crematoriums. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny to see that each member of the guys has something that they're passionate about that the other three don't care about. Like when Hank starts babbling about propane, nobody listens. When Dale starts babbling about conspiracies, nobody listens. When Bill says anything, (laughs) nobody listens. And then Boompower's just kind of rambling, and then it's just kind of like, yep. Um, I like this, actually, after this part in the deleted scenes, right after Hank is finished telling the guys, there's a crazy, like, preacher man, in, like, with a Bible. And he just, like, Hank rolls the window down, and he just says, hell is a million degrees hot! <laughs> <laughs> and Hank just rolls the window back up and says, the important thing is they buy a lot of propane. <laughs> That's funny. I also loved how Bill was, like, impressed. By the trailer park, he's oh them trailers they're so pretty and <laughs> Boomhauer just starts babbling on about how it's not a bad deal, <laughs> you know, hundred bucks a month for hookup fees. It's like... I like though that when they so the scene where they're hooking up the trailer, there was an extended sort of deleted scenes added into it that were like just the guys hooking up the trailer. And Dale is just being that guy who hanging around drinking a beer, being like, "You're blowing it. You're you're doing it all wrong." <laughs> so of course, the first attempt at uh, winching the trailer back over. For some reason, Boomhauer's driving Hank's truck. I thought that was kind of funny. Like, well, Hank needs to direct this. Yeah, he operation. needs he needs to direct. So he's got he he ties the cable around the top of the trailer. They're all telling Boomhauer to start winching on it, but. They're at the back of the trailer, so they can't actually see the truck. Of course, Boomhauer winches the truck onto the <laughs> underside of the trailer. That's uh, they got to put some planks down. Boomhauer dries off, and he just pins on. And Hank's yelling at him to keep going with the momentum. He hits the end of the line, and the trailer flips over. And Boomhauer is cool, smooth, pimping, throws the thumbs up out the window, and then crashes into <laughs> the neighbor's trailer, which luckily is for sale. And of course, the guys scurry away like mice. <laughs> We go back to the Hill residence where uh, Peg and Luann are watching Jeopardy, I assume, because they're fantasizing about Canadian Trebek. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, how odd. Like, why is, like, 18, 19-year-old Luann fantasizing about this, like, 60-year-old game show? <laughs> you know, I think I have a theory on this, okay. and it's because the... It's because of the fountain of youth. Women love it when a man... It never ages. And Alex Trebek has looked 50 since he's 25. And he's like 70-something today. And he still looks like he's 55. That's so true. Because he's 78 years old right now. And I also read that he's been renewed to host Jeopardy for like another four years or yeah. something. Like he's going to be in his, well into his 80s while he's still hosting uh, Jeopardy. And I mean, he got his start in 1961. And none other than the CBC. Oh, <laughs> of course. He's a... Good Canadian kid. Yeah, uh, from the mean streets of Sudbury, Ontario. Sudbury. <laughs> Shouts out, Sudbury. I have another theory. I'm pretty sure Luann's just into old dudes because you... Possible. Yeah, because you know she's into Chuck Mangione, right? And he's not the youngest man. That's true. That's so true. I think Luann's got a little bit of and a thing. I mean, later, looking at Lucky, I don't know what she's looking for in a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Hank's just triumphant walk into the room, cracking a beer. <laughs> Like, he's just, like... He's on cloud nine right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, he had a great day with the guys tipping a trailer yeah, over. knocking another one over. <laughs> but, yeah, then he he proceeds to explain to Luann that he's tipped her trailer back over, and she just runs away, bawling her eyes out because she can't handle that. And of course, Hank is just, like, so blindly ignorant to the feelings of... Luann, like, he thinks she's going to jump out of her chair and be like, oh, my God, thank you. I have a trailer that's been tipped over for six months to go live in that is filthy, and my dad or my mom stabbed my dad with a fork inside it. And so, of course, as usual, one of her trademarks, Hank, or sorry, Luann runs off hysterically crying into her room, which is actually Hank's den, as, uh, and Peggy uh, follows in to console her. Yeah. So Peg, yeah, Peg disagrees with Hank, and she offers up the rebuttal to his metaphor about the vomiting into the baby bird's <laughs> mouth and let them leave the nest. But yeah, so Peg goes and consoles Luann, and Luann seems to have like picked herself up pretty fast, and she's console she's consoling the idea that she's gonna move back to Shiny Pines and. I had dreams, Aunt Peg. I want to do hair and makeups for TV. I know I'd be good. I believe that I could be the first one to hide those bags under Michael Douglas's eyes. Those are big old dreams. I'm shooting for a star, Aunt Peg. And you know what? I'll be okay at Shiny Pines, because you could see the same stars over that trailer you could see right here. At night. <laughs> so, yeah, Luann has a real moment there. She's going to grab the bull by the horns and be an independent woman and go live in this little trailer and do hair and makeups for the rich and famous. And, yeah, it's a real moment for Luann. I think it's a good moment for Brittany Murphy. I think, like, if... I don't know what the awards look like at the end of this year, but if I was going to nominate one so far, I think that's a really good voice acting talent from Brittany Murphy there. I think it's a good choice. And it also... Um, really comes together with the music. I really love when they do the original music and bring the mood like with the the voice acting because Luann, it makes it just so much more motivational hearing the nice little strum and p plucking underneath Luann and it's like it's a very hopeful moment and it I think the music adds to that too for sure. Music is good in this and I looked, I could find a lot for editing sound but none for the music. 
It's always a little bit of a mystery. I, I hope Skunk's still on at this point. <laughs> I don't think he is. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's a bit of a drifter, right? I mean, he was slumming it with <laughs> Mel, to be honest. <laughs> Consultant. But yeah, so then we got the next day where Peg and Luann have boxed up all of her things and are going to say their goodbyes. She goes to say bye to Ladybird, and then when she gets to Bobby, he says that he never read her diary, even when she suspected it. <laughs> Three years ago. <laughs> when he gives the exact date of the yeah. day that she wrote in her diary that she suspected Bobby was reading her diary. <laughs> and she says, I was wrong to doubt you, Bobby. <laughs> I, I, really, I actually think I like the uh, deleted scene more than that. He says, uh, Bobby comes up and says, I was going to sell my Game Boy to buy you a new hairbrush for your wigs. <laughs> and then and Luann says, well, I was going to sell my best wig to get you a Game Boy cartridge. <laughs> Bobby just says, oh, well, when you do, could you maybe sell your hair? <laughs> Bobby says, well, when you do sell your wig, could you maybe get me Chuck Norris's ultimate head kick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that game sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, I want that. <laughs> yeah. Of course, when she gets to Uncle Hank, uh, it's really awkward. Like, uh, after she says, you've been like a father to me, Uncle Hank. Hank uh, thrusts a 10% coupon off propane uh, to her as a farewell gift. He's just so, like, unable to voice his emotions or allow himself to have any. It's like... He calls it controlling or yeah. containing. Yeah. Hold on to that. That'll get you a 10% discount on all your propane needs. <laughs> lucky, lucky me. <laughs> I, it's very harsh, What he, the way he feels about Luann. Like, it's his niece, right? It's his wife's brother's daughter. <laughs> Which technically makes it his niece. <laughs> and, like, you're supposed to love family, and he treats her like company. If she was family, I wouldn't have to double knot the belt on my bathrobe just to get a midnight snack. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty harsh. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, she's been nothing but nice. Like... She's making him coffee, doing his laundry, fixing cars and stuff. Like, she there's really not that much trouble other than the fact that she's in his den and yeah. not a blood, like, relative to him. She has she has emotions that Hank cannot deal with. Yeah, like, I actually wrote down, I was like, man, Hank is being a total dick in this episode. Like, yeah. so far we've seen, like, he is being completely unreasonable. He really is. And, like, she is, her dad's in jail. Her mom and her mom and dad are in jail. Sorry, her mom's in jail. I don't know where the dad is. Maybe he's in jail too, probably. But like, she calls Hank her like a father, and he has just nothing but a coupon to give to her. And like, she's doing her absolute best because you can tell by her emotions, she wants to cry. Like when she gets the ten percent discount, she says, "Lucky, lucky me." Like she's still trying to be positive, and because she knows that like she's trying to be thankful for Hank. Well, I mean, to, <laughs> but it to makes be, her cry. To be fair, Hank knows how much you how much propane the average trailer park resident <laughs> goes through, so he is doing her a big favor. 
And he continues to kind of ignore, like, on purpose, like, what he's doing to Lan and how she reacts. Because him and Peggy get into a fight, like, a fight that we've never seen. They're really scrapping. And at one point, Hank goes, she cries at weddings. She cries at funerals. There's no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> right in front of the boy, too, mind you. I love Peggy's the worst thing that she could possibly say to him. Well, I don't know how anyone is supposed to know what you're feeling. Sitting there like, like a block of wood. That is what you are sometimes, a blockhead. A blockhead? Now that's hitting below the belt. <laughs> it's like, he would take too much offense to that. Yeah, you gotta get the feeling that Hank's probably been called a blockhead before or calls people like Bill a blockhead. So it's just like such an insult. That's and what he calls Joe Jack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of hell, if I wasn't so in control of my emotions, I might be inclined to say that's the sort of place you should consider making a, a visit towards. <laughs> <laughs> She's just shocked. <laughs> and uh, just before they leave, Peggy mentions that they better get in the car before that Dr. Demento starts stinking up the airwaves. Oh, boy. Hi, your mortal enemy is on the radio. It's time for more D. Dementia with Dr. Demento. Ah! And now, the funny <laughs> And that comes from the fifth episode of season six of The Simpsons titled Sideshow Bob Roberts. Dr. Demento voices himself for this, and for some reason, he is Bart's other mortal enemy, along with Sideshow Bob, and it's never really <laughs> to, like, talked about ever, but uh, The Simpsons are not a fan. Do uh, Give me a little bit on Dr. Demento. I I I've become quite a fan. I mean, he's one of those things that, like, I've always heard about and I'm always pretty sure I was a fan of because I like that kind of stuff. But he was... Uh, so, Dr. Demento, born Barrett Eugene Hansen in Minneapolis, 1941, is a radio DJ and record collector. His shows are best described as a showcase of mad music and crazy comedy from <laughs> Out of the Archives and Off the Wall, as he intros his show, okay. um, where he finds old weird records that are largely forgotten, but often quite funny or just generally weird. Mm. Um, he has a lot of, like, musicals that are, like, just outlandish or weird, like, comedy. Some of his, like, so... I'm going to be real. I listened to about four hours of <laughs> Dr. Demento today, waiting for you guys to show up. So uh, I've become quite, I've been, I've, I'm a pretty fan here. I got a list of songs that I'm going to download. So, But yeah, he, uh, he Weird Al actually owes a lot of his exposure early on to Dr. Demento. And he was a big fan, I guess. The way Dr. Demento works is people, like, send him tapes a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, like, people like Penn and Teller or, like, Robin Williams or, like, Weird Al would, like, send him stuff. Because his show was, like, it's on Westwood Radio, which I guess was widely syndicated in, in the U.S. So he would, because, like, he was doing it out of uh, Culver City, which I guess is, like, in L.A. Um, and that, and they were listening to it in Texas, so. Yeah, it was uh, in syndication until June 6, 2010. And did you, uh happen to see how he met Weird Al Yankovic? I know he was like 16 years old in high school. Yeah, uh, Dr. Demento like did a presentation, I guess, at at the Weird Al's high school, and Weird Al slipped him this like demo tape he had recorded himself, and Dr. Demento started playing it on a show, and he got a lot of positive feedback. What was the name of it? Because I think he just played it. Um, I didn't get the name of that. As far as I know, I, like, it didn't 
it didn't it, say one, but it, it led to Dr. Demento funding uh, Weird Al's first EP, which was, of course, Another One Rides the Bus. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he in the one I listened to, uh, well, I listened to two two-hour-long radio shows. And uh, in the second one, he was talking about how he played a Weird Al song that was from his, like, unreleased block of music that he plays, which is all stuff people sent to him. So I think it was probably... Because it was a Weird Al song I, I don't even remember. Oh, uh, I see. Um, did you happen to take a gander at the number of records his personal collection is? Oh, I did. Yes. It exceeds 85,000. It's insane. Apparently when and you go to his house, it's like a hoarder with newspapers, but it's like Dr. Demento with records. Like, you can't walk anywhere without bumping into a stack of records. It's amazing. <laughs> and, like, and that's records. Like, and most of the content that he played on his show was from cassettes. Because it would be a lot of people sending him cassettes, mm-hmm. and 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 that's how people shared music. So like that, that number doesn't even include the content that he like had to go through for just his show, which yeah. lasted for 40, 50 years or whatever it was. It was in syndication up until twenty ten, and now apparently you can still get it once a week on like an online. You can yes, yeah, so I was gonna say I think he's moved to to online streaming with like a subscription base, yeah. And of course, before he was Dr. Mento, he briefly served as a roadie for the band Spirit and Candy Heat. <laughs> Candy Heat. No way. Like, Dr. Demento had some clout. Like, this guy was hanging out with some rock stars, and, like, he actually, he was a, an AR man, too, I think, for a bit in the 70s for a record company and stuff. Like, he, uh, he knows his stuff. Oh, Liz, I, I actually, yeah, I watched some interviews with him, and, like, he's the kind of dude that I would love to have a music conversation with. Oh man, he would. You could go on for days and great. days and days. It'd be I, great. On YouTube, there was I think like a forty-five minute documentary, and I watched like the first couple minutes of it, and it was just really funny because it's just like the you know like the opening scenes, and it's like they show the people they interview for the documentary, and it's Weird Al, and Weird Al's like Barry Hansen, Doctor Nemeno. He's I think I went to high school with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone just kind of like forgets how they actually know him. It was pretty funny. Yeah, no, I actually saved that into my YouTube. I'm gonna, I was gonna watch that later when I had a when I had a good hour. Um, but yeah, so he sounds like a pretty cool dude. Like yeah. it, it sounds like he's got a lot of older music too. Like I remember you had him on when I came in, and it was a lot of kind of older tracks. Like you know what? Actually, um, I was sort of I thought that as well. But then when I and it, it is a lot of that. But he doesn't. He he keeps just if people send him shit. So. The episodes I listened to were both from 1986, and they had a lot of, like, what we would consider, I guess, like, sample hip-hop. Okay. Where, like, nobody was rapping, but there was, like, a, just, like, an 808 beat, and people would cut lines out of, like, Star Trek, or, like, cut lines out of other shows and stuff, and make, like, people kind of, like, rap together. Oh, okay. But, like, just out of, like, found clips. Yeah. Just totally something like the Beastie Boys. Like, and this was 86... So the Beastie Boys, I wondered if they were maybe listening to this, because they probably would be, because I, I know Miles and I just read that Beastie Boys book. And, it sounds like something they'd be into. And they're like, yeah, those, that's the kind of thing those guys did. They're like audio files like that. They collect the weird things that people left on the back burner. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Adam Horvitz, Adrock goes into great detail, but like when on tour, he would just like, if he had a free day, he's like, I'm going to go find like the local record store and just like thumb through as many as I can and I was reading about Dr. Demento and he says like a lot of like the stuff he finds are like some like they're just like noises that people were recording in like the early 1900s like when it, like recording just became a thing and it was just like sounds like maybe for like musicals or like you know for whatever and he he 
you know, put those into his show. Yeah, some of them were just advertisement jingles that people had, like, made and, like... Mm-hmm. And some of them were just like parody musical jingles. Like he was just, yeah, he was awesome. Like I guess YouTube does a lot of what he does, but yeah, uh, yeah. There's something to be said about people like that, just appealing to a small but l- dedicated fan base. Very dedicated, and um, maybe Doctor Demento will respond to some of your emails there. Hopefully, and uh, we can come hang. He can come hang out with us. One person who was not a fan, however, was Peggy. <laughs> 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 No, she is not a fan, and she suggests her and Luann get in the car uh, before he starts stinking up the air, and they leave, and then Hank turns to Bobby and apologizes for uh, fighting in front of him. But Bobby obviously didn't notice because he was too enthralled in the news. (laughs) Yeah, unbeknownst to us, Bobby's sitting there like a couple inches away from the TV, and Hank is... uh, giving this heartfelt apology about how he should never speak to a woman like that, and Bobby just shushes him and says, I can't hear the TV. <laughs> and, of course, it's our uh, local weather girl from Rainy Street, Nancy Hicks Gribble. Residents should be on the lookout for a tornado, especially if you live in a trailer park, because, as we all know, Jim, trailer parks can be hell in a tornado. <laughs> and then we find out that Bobby was actually listening and says, hey, my- Mom's going to a trailer park, and you just told her to go to hell, and trailer parks are hell. Isn't that funny? (laughs) I love how he just finds the humor in that. Hank's just, like, instantly mortified. (laughs) So we cut to the scene of Hank, or sorry, Peggy and Luann driving towards Shiny Pines, and they're listening to none other than Dr. Demento. What's that song that they're listening to? That song is none other than Cocktails for Two by Spike Jones and his City Slickers. This version is recorded in 1944, but Spike Jones was born in 1911, and he's American band leader and musician from the early 40s to the late 50s, who was known for making satirical versions of American staples. Cocktails for Two was the biggest hit that they had, reaching number four, but it was originally written in 1934 for during the Big Band era by Arthur Johnson and Sa- Sam Coslow for Carl Brisson, performed in the film Murder at the Vanities from the same year. Duke Ellington's version, however, which was also recorded in 1934, is kind of viewed as the quintessential version of this song. Yeah. I don't know who any of those people are. You know who Duke is. Do I know the Duke? You know the Duke. I know the Duke. I know the Duke. I believe I read somewhere that this song was originally written as kind of like a celebration that Prohibition was over. Like around 1934 is right when, and it's kind of... It would make sense. Yeah, that's like what I was, uh, what I read that the original version was kind of about. That makes the the satirical version even funnier, I think, because clearly he's singing about getting too fucking drunk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like... And yeah, yeah, it's a pretty zany song. It's <laughs> it's fun because it takes where like it's song that makes drinking like a casual like enjoyable evening into like if there's actually like a video of them doing it. I watched on YouTube, <laughs> and yeah, they're just burping and like yelling at the bartender and like throwing peanuts everywhere. <laughs> and they sure know how to like romanticize having a cigarette too. <laughs> it sounds great. 
He does. I mean, so we can only assume that Peg was forced to listen to this because the Demento was stinking up the airwaves. <laughs> Apparently out in Shiny Pines, it's the only thing that comes in loud and clear. Yeah, I like that they still listen to it. Like, she doesn't have a CD <laughs> yeah. or a, ta- a, a tape or anything. In her Any st- other radio station. <laughs> <laughs> so back on Rainy Street, we uh, see the guys, frant- or Hank specifically, is frantically preparing for to go to Shiny Pines Trailer Park to try and hopefully rescue uh, Peggy and Luann before this hurricane, or sorry, this tornado touches down. Yeah, and I think Bill at this point is in his uniform. He's uh, suited up because his city needs him. Much like many of your Marvel superheroes. <laughs> I take on certain powers when I put on this uniform. Not unlike your Marvel superheroes, like, you know, Stretch Armstrong, Spider-Man, whatnot. Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> Stretch Armstrong's going to be in the new Avengers movie. And whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, also in the scene, Bobby or Hank is giving Bobby the rundown. He goes, if I become incapacitated for some reason, do you know how to start a man's heart with a down power line? <laughs> Bobby, of course, says no. And if you... Um, if you want to know about that, if you pick up a down power line, you will die. <laughs> and if you try and shock somebody with it, they will also die. <laughs> it's like 50,000 times stronger than like a defibrillator. So just stay the fuck away from down power lines. I really shouldn't have to say this, but just <laughs> This is no time for jokes, Boomhauer. This tornado is already classified at level two on the Fujisaki scale. A storm that strong will send an egg through a barn door. Two barn doors if one of them's open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes so much sense. Thank you, Dale. <laughs> what would we do without it? <laughs> did, we, uh, did we get a definition of the Fujisaki scale? Oh, of course. I did my research. <laughs> the Fujisaki scale is a scale for measuring the intensity of tornadoes based upon the damage an egg would inflict on construction materials. Sensible. <laughs> Invented by none other than Dale Gribble. Oh, <laughs> of course. It all makes sense now. So, of course, uh, what Dale was actually referring to is none other than the Fujita scale, a scale for rating tornado intensity based primarily on the damage tornadoes inflict on human-built structures and vegetation. Now, the Fujita scale was in use from 1971 all the way up until 2007 in the United States, when until it was replaced by the Enhanced Fujita scale. (laughs) So what he's talking about right here, an F2 uh, level tornado would cause significant damage, including roofs being torn off of houses, mobile homes demolished, boxcars overturned, large trees snapped or uprooted, high-rise windows being broken in, and light object missiles being generated. Jesus. Sounds like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And D20, man. (laughs) And by the end of this episode, that motherfucker's an F5. And we all know what happens at an F5. What happens at F5? Well, we'll get there in a minute. (laughs) But before Bobby goes to get the egg, we get the the guys really laid into Bill a lot more than he is about to put up with while wearing this uniform. Oh, yeah, they're completely tearing him apart and ridiculing him and uh, making jokes about his hair products he uses. and His role in the military. <laughs> you know, I, I don't mind you guys making fun of me on a daily basis, but when I have this uniform on, I'd appreciate a little respect. I'm sorry, you're right. Of all the army barbers I know, you're the bravest. 
<laughs> totally patronizes him. <laughs> and he just fucking pieces. He walks the fuck away. Like, he's sad and defeated. Yeah, I believe Hank points out that his barn door is open. While oh, yeah. Bill, Bill's, Bill's trying to give himself some credit and liberate himself. And the whole time his his zipper is, is at the bottom. <laughs> While this is going on, Dale and Boomhauer are preparing to go storm chase. Yeah, Boomhauer's <laughs> been holding a, like, a handy cam this whole time. <laughs> We've been dying to know what that's used for. Mm-hmm. And I believe the, I think one of the cha- uh, TV channels was hard copy. Yeah, was offering five hundred bucks for any flying cow videos. So of course, uh, in the middle of this, you know, natural disaster, that's what Dale and Boomhauer go off to do. I mean, you know, you think you know Boomhauer's a swinging bachelor. You know, he's got nothing better to do. But, you know, Dale has a son. And yeah. <laughs> Nancy's clearly at the weather's or at the at the TV station. Well, I mean, station. everybody could use five hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, <laughs> especially Dale. Yeah, he, he does springs for two dollars every two <laughs> weeks. Before Bobby goes to run and grab the egg, Dale informs him that a level three could send an egg through a brick wall. And that's when Bobby scurries off to grab something important and just <laughs> throws an egg in his in his breast pocket. Already directly after the scene, when we leave the fellows as they embark on their um, weird journeys that all all of them are intertwined with the storm with for some reason, we flash to Nancy Hicks Gribble, who's doing Stormwatch 97 over at Channel 84, I believe. And she goes on to say that this storm is brought to you by Megalomart. And if your house was destroyed, you can go to Megalomart and get a free five-pound bag of onions. (laughs) Score! That makes it all worth it, that fucking dirty vegetable <laughs> <laughs> you hate onions i love them uh, but yeah weed in the deleted scenes here they're they're more of extended scenes she goes on to say that they don't have not that there hasn't been any reports but that they don't have any footage of any injuries or <laughs> yeah. destruction and then she says if anybody you know is likely to be injured or is going to be injured <laughs> please send us <laughs> some footage but then they then the it cuts to like the director of the news program and they put on the commercial and it's Megalomart and like everybody in the booth kind of starts like tapping along and humming to it and Nancy's <laughs> just happily singing this, yeah. the theme song <laughs> like just after delivering this like horrible news they're all kind of into the theme song for <laughs> Megalomart oh, the sick and twisted news world twisted mm-hmm Emphasis on the twisted. Now we see Peggy and Luann arrive at Shiny Pines, and they go up to the trailer. Peggy opens the door, and a myriad of garbage, beer cans, junk comes falling out of the trailer. Yeah. And the sheer just trying as hard as they can to make it not seem as awful as it is. And, like, it's not... Like a mobile home, it's it's an actual trailer. Like it's small and yeah, like, yeah. It's like an old airstream. It's tiny. <laughs> this is one that you easily move when you want to go on vacation. Yeah, <laughs> I love Luann's immediate impression of it is looking around at the fork that Mama stabbed Daddy with, and the empty beer bottles from that night, and <laughs> the biggest horror of all. Those mango-colored palazzo pants that made my butt look big. (laughs) (laughs) Just to give you an idea of where her head is really at. Why she really moved away from Shiny Pines. (laughs) The mango palazzo pants. Yeah. It was funny, too. I noticed the beer bottles. I'm pretty sure they were 40s. 
Yeah. <laughs> they were Alamo. Yeah, they were yeah, Alamo they were 40. Alamo triple X. Ooh, shit. That's that extra strong shit. That's got to be. So now we see Hank and Bobby uh, frantically trying to make their way to Shiny Pines Trailer Park to go save Peggy and Luann. And they're listening to very humorous uh, news clip on the radio about a, a local titty club that <laughs> was in the path of the tornado. Wheezies. Yeah, it's called Wheezies. And uh, how did that clip go again? Wheezies nightclub was in the path of gale force winds. Wheezies. It leveled the club out. The strippers are fine, but a customer had his lap broken by one of the dancers. <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Nothing. That trailer park is at least three strip clubs away from Wheezy's. <laughs> <laughs> so some poor sap is in the middle of an LD and a tornado hits. And I guess this must have been one of the larger uh, dancers. <laughs> Started bouncing on his lap and uh, ended up breaking it. <laughs> The report is unclear whether or not it's related to the storm or not. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a good cover-up. <laughs> Could have been Wide Wednesdays. I'm not sure. <laughs> but what happens next? Of course, Hank's fuel filter fails. On cue, of course. Right when he did not need his truck to be failing. Mm-hmm. Well, lucky for the Hill Boys, they stumble and stutter and stall right in front of the Megalomart. Yep, and then right uh, before they go in, we get a shot of Dale and Boomhauer on the chase for the storm. And I've been dying to know how this is going to (laughs) go. The two of these guys out getting storm chasing. That's what it's called. Storm chasing. Storm chasing. I love it. Yeah, we get we get a shot of Boomhauer riding on top of the Bugabago's bug, which I'll have you notice is right side up. Yes. Yeah. I thought it. Uh, I thought I was. I was expecting it to be upside down. It is not upside down. It's right side up. Uh, yes, they do. And then we get a great little monologue from Dale. All right, Twister. It's just you and me now. Ten years ago, you took my shit. Did you think I'd forget that? Come on, bring it on. <laughs> I love it. I, right after that, like. One raindrop hits his windshield, and he panics, <laughs> and he freaks out, drives into the cornfield, and, of course, Boomhauer's trying to hang <laughs> on up top. Um, the deleted scene here, I keep calling them deleted scenes. Most of them are extended scenes, and the extended version of this is, like, that Boomhauer climbs back into the window of the Bugabago, and he's cursing uh, Dale, calling him a chicken and everything, and calls him Puddle Pants, <laughs> and Dale says, and he quotes, Dale Gribble is not a coward. Yes, I wet myself, but I do not concede it was out of fear. <laughs> fear. <laughs> His voice, like, cracks yeah, in the course. middle of- it's just a thought. It's, it. it's awesome. When they they emerge from this cornfield finally, and they're losing control over the road, and a giant drum of ant poison goes yes. flying out of the back of the bugabago, and neither Dale nor Boomhauer is aware of it, or concerned. Yeah, or concerned. Dale should be concerned. That sounds probably more expensive than what he charges. For. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, two bucks a spray. Uh, how many sprays? <laughs> well, let's think. Uh, Boomhauer and Hank are probably his only two customers because <laughs> Dale's lawn or Bill's lawn is shitty. So that's his retirement fund. <laughs> yes. Now we're back at Megalomart. We can see Bobby and Hank scrambling with 
the crowd just pandemonium of people trying to get their last minute supplies fighting over everything like everything i think one woman dumps like the entire shelf of candles like into her yes. car and just like storms off i think i saw somebody spit on the floor oh yeah well <laughs> that, that was that that, <laughs> that, that happens, happens all the time yeah. i think they got sawdust down on the floor at megan lamar they just sweep that up <laughs> I, I love it though hank finds his his fuel filters and you hope you only find them in packs of dozens, which is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, what are you, like a commercial auto shop that has like 12 trucks coming in all at once with you would, busted yeah. fuel filters? It would, like, the only feasible reason for that would be if you had, like, a Chevy dealership and you would be sent them probably in bigger boxes than 12 yeah. by the manufacturer. <laughs> so, of course, Hank runs into struggles with um, the cashier at Megalomart. She is refusing. Hank doesn't want to buy the 12 fuel filters, and then he opens the package and puts one fuel filter on the table, and she goes, oh, no, I can't sell you that for insurance reasons because the box is open. And Hank continues to lose his mind, and then frantically trying to buy these fuel filters or make some sort of deal with the cashier at Megalomart, there is one Peggy-sounding, frantic onlooker who has, you know, has something to say about what Hank's doing. Honey, quit! That jackass is buying all the fuel filters! What? Leave some for us, jackass! I need a fuel filter. What are they for? I need one! This <laughs> is instantly berated by the patrons of the Megalomart. And I'm pretty sure that last person is voiced by Bobby. That's uh, Pamela Adlon, uh, Bobby, and of course, before that, we heard Kathy Najme, the voice of Peggy. Yeah. They just throw some money on the counter and just get the fuck out with the f- one fuel filter. Yeah, I like that he leaves the rest behind. Yeah, he just scatters the rest of them. I know, and like, he leaves 11 fuel filters. <laughs> so, like, those people should have enough fuel, f- fuel filters to last, like, the rest of their lives. Those, <laughs> Man, like, I, like, I maybe have changed one fuel filter in, like, five vehicles I've owned. Yeah, same with me. I changed one, and it didn't end up even being a problem. So I just got covered in gasoline. I wasn't even going to talk about that one. (laughs) So Hank and Bobby are back on the road again. And, of course, uh, as we remember from earlier, Dale's ant poison is on the middle of the road in the same spot, but is now being blocked off by the military, (laughs) who are effectively taking care of the situation by poking it with a stick and drinking some beer. Yeah. It's times like these I ask myself what I would do. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that this hazmat team, because, you know, hazmat teams, like, it's a pretty shitty job, right? You're, you're dealing with the stuff nobody else would deal with. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that when, like, pandemonium hit and everyone was grabbing for shit, they did the logical thing and just grabbed, like, a bunch of flats of beer. And we're <laughs> yeah. like, we're going to have to work for the next, like, seven days straight. Like, we might as well be pissed. I love it, though, Hank. Hank's blocked by this, and he's greeted <laughs> by some army man. Just and Hank starts bossing this kid around, <laughs> demanding that he be let around. Uh, I love that. Uh, like they're all there, right? They all got the truck there somehow, and his excuses, you know, I'm not authorized to drive a truck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he doesn't have the orange suit. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's just and, one of Dale's, or well, it's just one of Bill's lackeys. Maybe he meant that he was also drunk. Maybe I'm, they were all just drunk and not authorized <laughs> to drive drunk. Fair enough. I mean, at least they're responsible. Yeah, I guess so. And they're thinking, it's a fucking twister. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> really matter. 
Maybe they got their own little Freddy hole. <laughs> so Hank demands that he speaks to uh, his uh, supervising officer. Yeah, so he calls security. <laughs> oh, that's it. Who shows up? Sergeant Dotree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sergeant Dotree. But what I notice of Bill's uniform, he's wearing the three stripes on his arm, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. Lays with Beef. Is that I, Sergeant? I looked it up, and like it differs from uh, Navy, uh, the Air Force, and the Army, but basically. And the and the barbers. But what I did find is that three stripes on that particular arm usually indicates that a sergeant. So that gives some, wow. some damn good credit or uh, attention to detail by the King of the Hill staff right there. I mean, you're right. But I will also chalk it up to just I think Americans just all know that stuff. I think it's pretty common knowledge. Who do you think he stole that shirt from? <laughs> <laughs> I like. I really, really like that he gets this over on Hank, though. No, I'm sorry. I, I must have a bad case of barber's ear. I can't hear words you say until you dress me as Sergeant Doaktree. <laughs> yeah, he also uh, he also says Hank demands to be let through, and Bill's like, "Oh, how am I gonna be able to do that with my clippers and <laughs> my moves?" Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's really good. It's it's an episode where Bill's scenes they end with him winning. Like it doesn't often happen. No, this is a this episode is a win for Bill. Like he he lets us know that he's in the military at the beginning mm-hmm. and then still doesn't get any respect by the yep. time he shows up in his military garb the second time, he still doesn't get any respect and yep. this one he's going to demand some fucking respect from and, Hank. And Hank's got to give it to him because Bill has the upper hand. And he does. And it's great. It's a win for Bill. He cried himself so happy to sleep that night. <laughs> yeah, for once, Bill's got, like, undisputable authority yeah. over someone else. And it just happens to be Hank. But, I mean, of course, was Hank goes nuts because he sees a guy with, like, a shop vac. So, yeah, he <laughs> sees the hazmat guy. And then, he, and then, like, the lightning flashes and he sees it as death. And then, in the, in, so, then he... Steers away, but in the deleted scenes, he flashes and sees death, and then the lightning flashes again, and Bill screams, and then he looks out Bobby's window, yeah, and the the same crazy religious man Uh who was in the Shiny Bites trailer park is now over here, and he's just yelling in the window at at Hank (laughs) and says. As you sow, so you shall reap. <laughs> and then everybody screams. And then Hank just, that's when Hank puts on the pedal and drives out of there. But then on the way down to Shiny Pines, they drive through a billboard and it's like getting torn apart. And some of the thing that it reads Stillman's inner tubes. <laughs> and it just, the piece that like hits the windshield says sinner. Of course. <laughs> so uh, They really tried to like play up the religious totally. angle with the hell. Like well, yeah, telling I think, Peggy to go to hell. Yeah, that's exactly I right. I think they kind of tried to, but I think maybe they took both those out because it was a little bit, it didn't really... Like it was, it could have been a direction, but it didn't end up being like a total, like huge part of the episode. It was it wasn't, kind of an underlying, yeah. And they didn't want to emphasize it as much. I that's what I think. Yeah, that makes sense. I and think it was yeah less less emphasis on it. So that was a pretty long extended scene. Uh, was that when you watched it on the DVD? Was that as an animatic? No, no. Uh, there was only a few that were animatics. That one was fully animated and colored. Oh, Same nice. with the other one. Oh wow! So it was cut pretty late. 
Yes. Speaking of animatics, actually, on the DVDs, there is an animation evolution feature. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And it's uh, basically, they use this episode as the example, and they explain to you how animatics work. And at this time, they used uh, storyboard animatics, and it let you, in the DVD, it let you watch it as an animatic form, as the fully colored form, and then side by side. And there was different audio commentaries, and they would let you select either just the actors doing the table read of it or Mm -hmm. just the music and sound effects. Yeah, like the Foley artist's business. And then, yeah, and then there was uh, one with them combined, and then there was one with Greg Daniels' uh, commentary. Yeah, and that commentary was pretty interesting. He kind of explains what an animatic is, and it's... Basically, like, once the actors have gotten the script and they've worked with it for a while and, like, the whole team is kind of ready to start doing the final workings, they get together and they do kind of like a dress rehearsal for the producers where they have these kind of pencil-drawn animations where they're just kind of stills and, like, emphasized action points of the scene with the voice of the actors over top of it and, they, again, the music and sound effects. And it's kind of just, like, the, the last thing that they do before it's going to get drawn and it's uh, it was really interesting to watch because they're like they look like pretty quick thrown together pictures of like the characters and a lot of the acting is really emphasized to like emphasize points. But yeah, like because they would show like Hank would look super afraid and or like super fat in some of them. They drew him as like really big to emphasize when he's right. being because they the scene they used was actually. This scene from Nancy's Death Watch, Death Watch '97 <laughs> yeah. news report until basically the end of the show. Episode. Yeah, basically Hank's whole confession while he's on the pole. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was all animatics. That was the example that they used. So they did storyboard animatics, which is the way I've described it to you for the first uh, three seasons, and then they switched to layout uh, animatics, which is they actually do the drawings that are going to get colored in, so they put a lot more effort into the actual animation, and then they uh, do the table read with the producers, but that costs a lot more, and it takes a lot more time, and you can't do as many uh, big changes uh, like you could with the storyboard layout. But it offers a better look of what to expect in the final draft or the final product, uh, which I think, you know, has its benefits. One of the features on the animation evolution was you can do a split screen of their final storyboard and the uh, and the initial storyboard with the pencil drawings. And side by side, you can definitely uh, tell that the energy comes from the storyboard animatics in the previous, the initial one, so... Uh, I, yeah, I think I, I prefer that. I agree. I think it looked like having seen the drawings to emphasize what they were supposed to sound like, mm-hmm. the actors are like supposed to respond to. Yeah. I thought I thought it was like I got it. I thought it made a lot of sense. I saw where they were coming from a lot of a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And just kind of one thing that I noticed that I'm I'm kind of I may be reaching, but. There was little things that they did on the animatics that I was kind of thinking, like, they have to draw all of these individually, and all these uh, pictures need to mean something. So there's just, like, little things that I noticed when they have Hank walking into the trailer. Uh, They have, like, one uh, drawing of him kind of, like, shadowed, and then one of him kind of becoming lighter. And then finally when he's inside, he's, like, fully drawn. And it just kind of, like, it's like, wow, they actually have to think about all these things 
and not just draw, oh, Hank's coming in. Like, I actually have to think about lighting and, and stuff like that as well because they want to save themselves work in the future. So I thought that it was just kind of interesting. Well, there's that, and there's also, I mean, a lot of the time people do those things for a reason. Like, you may, like looking back at the religious aspect of the episode, you may say something like, coming from the darkness yeah. into the light, you know, like... People like, and so when you're trying to storyboard something like that, you might want to get that point across. Exactly. And not have it get twisted. So, you, so there's one thing I've learned is that, yeah, it's every decision is actually made for a reason. So while we're still on the topic of animation, I just wanted to point out one blunder uh, that they had in this episode. Earlier when uh, Hank suggests to Peggy that she takes a trip towards... Just a visit. A visit towards, you know where... H-E double uh, hockey sticks. That's the one. Uh, there's a scene with uh, just before the commercial break when it's uh, Peggy and Luann driving to the Shiny Pines and then Twister's behind them. Uh, there's a side shot of the car and Peggy's driving wearing her classic green blouse. And then when they take a front frontal shot uh, to look through the car towards the Twister, Peggy's now wearing a purple shirt. Uh, same style shirt, just different color. So that was just one thing that I noticed and I wanted to touch on. That's weird. So we see Hank and Bobby finally arrive at Shiny Pines Trailer Park and they are met with a hysterical woman. Uh, she's just referred to as that old lady. And as we were talking about earlier, she has some striking similarities in her voice and I, I think it's emphasized. Bobby. I think it's emphasized because Bobby speaks and then she speaks. Yeah, it must be. But uh, she's got she's got some words for uh for for the Hill Boys. The Twister's coming, run for the radio. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're aware of a radio, <laughs> so yeah, a Frady hole uh, found typically in Tornado Alley is basically just wait, what the f what's Tornado Alley? It's uh, the corner of Oak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Never heard about Tornado Alley? No, what's that? It's like the, the, the southern, like, like the central southern like portion of the states, like Oklahoma. Um, I can't remember any other states. But, <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's a thing. Delaware. <laughs> oh, no, that's in Delaware. Shouts out to New Mexico. <laughs> no, no, it's just around, uh, Mexico. it's like, yeah, it's around there. And it's just like where the, like, the most prone areas in North America are to, uh, to tornadoes. Probably, I'm going to guess that Kansas is in there. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Kansas and it's a great state. I Do like they call that the Midwest? No, they call it the flyover states. Yes, it is Midwest. Yeah, it's the, the Midwest. <laughs> well, I guess it is Midwest. But they the, when they say the Midwest, they usually mean like the lakes areas, like Chicago or okay. like Detroit and... Well, anyway. Wisconsin, that's the Midwest. <laughs> I get you. Minneapolis. But yeah, these uh, tornado-prone areas in the United States, so people have Frady holes. You can buy them, I looked online, or you can you know, make them yourselves, which is more the traditional uh, method. It's, wait, it's, wait, wait, wait. What does a bought Frady hole look like? It looks like... Um, it's like a, a panic room? It looks like a big plastic like water tank. Like if you, didn't, if you needed a tank that you had to bury underground for water... That's what it was, and it has, like, a staircase going down from the top and, like, enough room for, like, a family of four to hang out for, like, but a day. You don't live there. You just hang out. Yeah, it's just till like, the tornado buggers off, and then you emerge out of it. So it's just, a, it's, a like, a storm shelter, or, like, you could call it a bomb shelter, that is just typically underground because it's, you know, it's meant to protect against just tornadoes. Just hole. Have you seen the movie Grave of the Fireflies? Nope. What movie? Grave of the Fireflies. Is that the Studio Ghibli really, really sad one? 
No, I. You told me not to watch it. No, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, it's. Uh, I hear it's very sad. Yeah, it's really sad. It's about kids who like have to live in a Freddy hole pretty well. Anyway, it's just a sad movie. We, we can move on. We don't have to talk about anime. Why not? <laughs> Well, I want to redeem myself here with some Tornado Alley knowledge. I thought you guys just knew about it. No, I never heard about Tornado Alley. Give me uh, some facts. It's a... I don't know how to pronounce that word, so I'm not even going to try. But the let's term... See let's see it. No. Let's see it. No, college boy, you're not looking come at this. Come on, let's see it. Gotta the come term more, Tornado Alley Got a couple more first, credits this time. ...was first used... Sorry, say it again. Colloquial. A colloquial... Colloquial term. Uh... First used in 1952 as the title of a research project to study severe weather in areas of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, South Dakota, Illinois, Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska, Colorado, North Dakota, and Minnesota. I don't know why the two Dakotas were split up in that description, but they were. (laughs) And it is uh, largely like a media-driven term through uh, tornado climatologists. If I had to guess, it was the Civil War. I don't know, 1952 was a long time after the Civil War. No, the Dakotas were split up. Oh, no, I just meant, like, (laughs) in the list of states, I mean, (laughs) you'd think it would be South and North Dakota, so I wouldn't have to fucking explain myself. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Throw that mic somewhere else. Um, So, the storm's going on. Wait, we're still not talking Are we done about Freddy Holes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, the storm's going on. Uh, Hank tries to find Peggy in the trailer while he sends Bobby with the old lady to the Frady Hole. Uh, can't find Peg. Here's her from the Frady Hole. So, now he has to make the trip from the trailer, which is surprisingly not tipped over. Well, yet. he... Yet. Uh, and uh, has to trek to the Frady Hole uh, against all this wind. And eventually, he makes it to a telephone pole and hangs on for dear life as they pass into the eye of the storm. And I love while Hank is making his way towards the telephone pole or hanging onto it, Bobby sees his opportunity. his moment. Takes his opportunity. <laughs> this is the moment I've been waiting for. <laughs> right in his face. Right in the like immediately after he lets go. <laughs> so does that mean that his head is stronger than a brick wall? Uh, what do we know? What level that it's currently at on the Fujiaki scale? Or yeah, <laughs> the Fujisaki scale. Um, we are believed now, since it's now Death Watch ninety seven, that this is turned from an F two to an F five. The okay, highest. Okay, so what is an F five? An F five is where like. It will literally pick houses up and move them, like, a block away. Like, this is, like, it's only recorded, like, really rarely. It, like, the winds hit, like, the highest possible on planet Earth that winds have ever been recording. Is so this, so we're led to believe because Dale's shed was taken 10 years <laughs> ago that that was an F5 as well. No, no, sheds would count as, I think, an F2, like, uh, oh. mobile homes being destroyed. Yeah. It's, oh. it's a, little, a little less. But, yeah, this is an F5, like, full-on chaos where, like, all the trailers are going to be, like, on a different lot. And, yeah, and, of course, Bobby has no, like, direction or foreshadowing or no anything. So, yeah, he throws that egg right into his face, and he tries to hit a brick wall that's, like, 20 feet away. (laughs) Throws it against the wind. We've seen him play baseball. There's no way he was hitting that. Yeah. This is his off-season training. (laughs) It's like, I wonder if Dale would have seen that and laughed or would have been like, huh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, why does anyone listen to Dale? 
What would he do if he saw that? He'd he, praise Bobby. He's telling him he's doing it wrong. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't be wrong. I forgot to mention that was supposed to be a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the Twister's picked up Hank, and he's taking this moment to learn the lesson that Peg's been trying to teach him the whole episode, and he's unburdening his soul. Just not, what is, what does uh, Peggy call it? Uh, not stop editing yourself. Or? Yeah, she says, yeah, no, don't edit yourself. Let it flow or <laughs> something like that. I love you and Bobby and Luann to a lesser extent. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. and yeah, this is, and then this is when the eye of the... Yeah. Twister shows up and he can. He, he has, has a moment. He can. Yeah. He has a. He has a choice to make here. Oh yeah. To cover himself up, well, he says. First, he needs to establish that Luann and <laughs> <Is> alive, that, <laughs> and that old lady are alive. <laughs> and then he looks between the Texas flag or a cactus. Of course, he chooses. Okay. Cactus. He's a proud Why? Texan. Don't soil the flag. Why would you do that? There's one thing that the old lady says just before he chooses that. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's almost forgot about that. <laughs> don't tell me that old lady's in there, too. Oh, don't mind me. I've seen a barrel of pickles in my day. <laughs> <laughs> a whole barrel. <laughs> seen a whole barrel of shiny pine pickles in there. <laughs> but I like it. The... the the decision between the Texas flag and the cactus for him to, for how important, like, covering himself up is, for him to choose that cactus really shows how important Texas is. To oh, him. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, what if the eye of the storm isn't the eye of the storm and the wind picks up again and he's holding a cactus in front of his junk? <laughs> to him, that's better oh, he's, than covering it up with the Texas flag. He's a true patriot. Yes, he is. <laughs> so, he makes it to the hidey hole. Sorry. So, he makes it to the Frady hole. Yeah, they survive the night, and they get out there in the mo- in the morning, presumably the morning. It's light mm-hmm. out. And, I mean, Hank is uh, getting into his truck, and everybody's going home, and Luann mentions that she'll never forget that Hank was <laughs> naked. Yeah. No, he wasn't. <laughs> and they'll, they assure her he didn't lose his underwear. But the wind blew all his clothes off. Not my underwear. Yes, I did. Not my underwear. Not his underwear. Did <laughs> you guys happen to notice that Hank's wearing Luann's mango palazzo pants? I didn't. Uh, he is? He's wearing really? them, and his butt looks big in them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, like, an impossible feat for yeah. Hank's butt. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He's, he's wearing, like, you don't see him, like, from behind, but you see him from the front, and he looks like he has these massive, like, hips because he's wearing those mango palazzo pants and, like, a I think a pink, like, button-up cardigan yeah, or something. Cardigan. Yeah. See, I really like this ending because, like, because Peg reminding Luann... That, no, we, you, like, you didn't see. Mm-hmm. He, he had his underwear on. Is kind of, like, a nice, like, because because Hank, before that, Hank does kind of invite her to come back to live there, even though yep. the trailer's, like, you know, trailer's tipped over again after the 
And and he just kind of says, oh, the trailer's tipped over. We'll forget about it. Hopefully, they'll actually haul it off this time so they don't owe any back rent. <laughs> yeah. But at least Hank knows about it. And, like, yeah, so him, like, I really like that. So Hank comes to this whole conclusion. Yep. And, Pe- and Peggy goes and reminds Luann, like, hey, Shows it seems like she's just like, yeah, like, hey, like, this is, you know, like, Uncle Hank does things way a certain he- way. <laughs> yeah. And we're gonna, you're gonna have to learn something from this episode as well. It's exactly. kind of what I took from it, and I really yeah. like that because, like, better than their alternate ending that they had, yeah, which was uh, Luann kind of just rips on Uncle Hank for his, she says, she says, when was the last time your fish belly saw the sun? <laughs> and he's kind of shocked. And she's just like, because it was white, 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 white. <laughs> and she just starts going off about, like, ripping on him for his white belly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then he just wrestles her. Huh? <laughs> and, like, it zooms out on them wrestling. And, like, I, this is a way better ending. Yeah. Because, because yeah, it, because both characters have to come to an understanding. Totally. And I think it's best that they come to the understanding, agreeing that Hank doesn't need to express his feelings. Totally. Like, Hank doesn't need to say how it is, and that's how they come to the agreement of Luann playing along with Uncle Hank, is what I think. No, that's way better than ending with just them wrestling. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I noticed just about, like, the beginning and the ending, because the opening kind of theme is Hank's underwear. Yeah. In yeah. the laundry and then the closing scene is about Hank's underwear it, as well. I didn't even notice that, but yeah, that you're right. That totally ties it. I think that ties right it up all completely. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that pair of boxer shorts like stuck yeah. on a tree branch like waving majestically yeah, like a yeah, flag. Exactly. Luann learns a little bit about discretion while Hank learns like I don't know what Hank learned. What did Hank learn? Hank learned that Luann's part of the family. Yeah. <laughs> and he can't, he can't just be such a dickhead and try and force someone to, you know, do what he wants them to do, I guess. And I, I really like how this, the end of that episode quickly, just like, well, I guess you're going to be staying with us now. And that just solidifies Luann as a, a mainstay in the show for years to come. And I, f- I feel like, you know, maybe we went through this before when she almost moved to Boomhauer's. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they... Because, I mean, this is, like, um, I, I, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how they, how they touch on this going forward. Because this episode really did start out by bringing up old ideas that Hank had about Luann's living situation with the trailer being tipped over. Mm-hmm. And so, just, this episode was sparked by the fact that he didn't, he thought he was being lied to. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he needed to relearn about having Luann live at his house. Mm-hmm. It's that he felt like he was being taken one over on, Got I guess, you know? So, Fair enough. I kind of th- took it as the last image is Hank's underwear free flying in the wind. Uh, and now Hank has to learn that he needs to be a little bit more... Uh, Go with the flow. Kinda. Yeah, that's true. Kind of just, if this is the way it is, it's the way it is. You can't control everything. It'd be interesting to see where, yeah, where, like, how he reacts going forward. Exactly. So, ready for next episode, which will be? 
the Arrowhead, and then right after that is Halloween, another Luan episode. So it'll be interesting to see how the relationship has evolved. You'd call Luan, you'd call Halloween a Luan episode. It's Luan and Bobby, I guess. But I would say it's Hank and Luan versus Bobby. I'm excited to see us talk about this. <laughs> Halloween's a great. Halloween's Halloween is probably one of the best. Episodes. You know how like I've seen a lot of the popular ones on TV. I have not seen this one. Oh, this is so a good this is gonna one. be good. On Halloween, Allie and I watched it. Oh, nice. Yeah, but uh, sorry, <clears throat> Miles, we didn't get your feelings on this episode. So, is there anything anybody wants to say before we go off air? I'll just touch on it quickly. It wasn't like a true standout episode, but I think that just. Uh, Gives credit to the quality of season two in itself. Um, it's a damn fine episode, and uh, it starts just a runway of truly classic episodes. And I think our jobs as podcast hosts are going to get a lot easier because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about coming up. Yeah, I, I I agree. These are some classic episodes. This one, I think, is I I view this one as one of my more favorites. Maybe it's just because of the line, the trailer tipped over. <laughs> Maybe it's because I love like Hank and Luann episodes. I love Luann in this show is my is like. Oh she, yeah, I know. She's the. <laughs> <laughs> Luann in this show is like every is the she's the viewer. She's us, and I love how at odds with Hank they put her. And this is this is perfect. This is, I think this is the best. I, I'm I'm happy that that. Cheryl uh, Holiday wrote this one. She's she's killing this one. Man. Can we just get a quick roundtable of Cheryl Holiday? <laughs> Cheryl <laughs> Holiday. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining the Order of the Straight Arrow. See you next week. Straight Arrow? Join the conversation on Twitter at Utsakothpod or follow us on Instagram at Utsakothpod or look for us on Facebook at Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Catch new episodes every Sunday night? Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact us by email at Utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please, no hate mail. Hey, what's your cry for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.